0: Welcome to Conversations on Healthcare. This week we welcome Ukrainian physician and family medicine professor, Dr. Irina Voroshina, on mounting challenges providing care in her war-torn country.
1: So My patients have now any possibility to obtain life-sreatened medication, normal food, um, and usual human facilities.
0: Lori Robertson joins us from factcheck.org, and we end with a bright idea, improving health and well-being in everyday lives. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Mazzelli and Margaret Flinter.
2: It's been a little over a month since the world watched in shock and horror as Russia invaded Ukraine. Over 10 million Ukrainians have been displaced and three and a half million people have fled the country. The World Health Organization says the only real solution is peace.
3: Here to help us understand is Dr. Irina Voloshina. She's a professor in the Family Medicine Department at a state medical university in southeastern Ukraine, which is not too far from where some of the most intense fighting has been occurring. She also serves on the board of the nonprofit Academy of Family Medicine
2: of Ukraine. Well, doctor, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Maybe you could just share with our listeners where you are at the moment, and how is your community holding up at this time?
1: Hello, everyone, dear colleagues. Thank you for invitation. And first of all, I would like to express my appreciation for your attention and ensure that I am in safe place now. I cannot say anymore. And Everything is much worse than you ever can imagine. And the uh, horrible mass murder of civilian population in Ukraine, military uh, disruption of our country, um, violence, uh, that is now reality in Ukraine. Um, My uh, native communities uh, suffered so much from Russian military occupation, who totally blocked uh, cities uh, with population over uh, 100,000 people. So my patients have now any possibility to obtain life-threatened medication, normal food, um, and usual human facilities. Our Ministry of Health, international partners, and volunteers try to help as much as they can. But more than a month, uh, we cannot say, send to uh, block communities even any pill.
3: Well, Dr. Voloshina, uh, as a medical school professor, I know that you must have trained so many physicians and maybe other healthcare workers as well. Uh, throughout the country uh, as primary care providers. What are you hearing from them? What are the stories that you're hearing from your former trainees?
1: Uh, Actually, you're absolutely correct. We have in Ukraine um, more than 23,000 registered primary care doctors and twice more family nurses. Uh, Me and my colleagues from Academy of Family Medicine of Ukraine really train lots of them, and uh, now we have an extensive network of medical professionals who give now strong support for our patients and coordinate lots of humanitarian packages. Uh, Before 24th of February, I was fully engaged in educational process and I am proud to, to represent Professional Society of uh, Family Doctors in Ukraine. And in this March we had to provide a big congress with the invitation of my primary care colleagues from essence from Helsinki Medical Universities but our plans were criminally interrupted. So now I give uh, warm greetings to all my colleagues, primary care physicians in Ukraine. Most of them, for example, uh, my uh, uh, PhD student went with um, with weapon now in, in Kiev. Before uh, this 21st February, uh, we start um, absolutely new project for Ukraine called uh, vaccination in chemistry. I was in in front line of of this project. So we we were absolutely doctors with peaceful professions, but now we we, we should uh, take weapon and fight with uh,
2: enemy. Mm. Dr. Voloshina, your world, as you just said, changed so much uh, from a month ago. I'm just wondering how your morale and how your spirit of your fellow citizens is holding up. You know, we listen to President Zelensky talk and feel that sense of strength and independence from his, his voice, but we know you're also uh, living in very difficult times. And share with us a little bit about your, your sense of, of, of the morale and spirit
1: my last uh, course I, I have been taken uh, called the stress management and w h uh, o organize t o t training for future trainers so i'm <laughs> i'm a trainer of stress management um, and you know uh, uh, now i understand uh, all necessity of such courses like mental health care, uh, stress management. So our our moral state is quite strong. Uh, we try to uh, to be close to each other, um, uh, social network not networking uh, groups. For example, I have uh, I joined uh, the group of um, my course from medical universities, doctors, and we discuss a lot of medical questions, we support uh, one each other. Uh, so uh, our moral state uh, quite strong, uh, but uh, I, I worry uh, very much about my patients and about uh, our doctors who are staying now in totally blocked and occupied territories. It is... Um, completely awful situation. Mm -hmm. There is a humanitarian catastrophe, uh, and it's real genocide because people completely lost even even food.
3: Well, Dr. Uh, Voloshina, we've been following, of course, the World Health Organization reports uh, that there have been 31 documented attacks on healthcare facilities with both injuries and deaths. I think we all were horrified by the attack on one of the maternity uh, hospitals, in particular. And I thought healthcare was usually spared. I wonder, as your as your hospitals themselves are being hit, you know, life saving places, critical moments, uh, are you feeling that we're on the verge of a collapse of your country's healthcare system?
1: Uh, actually, our health care system um, was built in very uh, quick um, temps and we uh, already have a completely digitalized medical system. Uh, we have um, digital medical records. It was, to, to my mind, one of the best uh, system even in Europe, because I'm in close communication with my colleagues uh, from European countries, but believe me, our healthcare system for last five years was completely re- rebuilt. A lot of uh, fantastic doctors uh, joined the team. Uh, now we have a lot of problems with, uh, with digitalizing uh, because of a very simple um, issue. In a lot of our districts, we even have no electricity. And that is a big problem, because you uh, have no electricity, you have no uh, Internet. Uh, so I am very grateful, for example, to Elon Musk, who gave us a Starlink, and I hope that uh, we can uh, join our medical uh, electronic system to this Internet system. And regarding the collapse, I, I, I cannot say uh, that we are now on collapse level, but uh, we urgently need to make more communication um, and give more rights, not only Ministry of Health, uh, because uh, there are so many requests uh, from medical hospitals, from um other a little, uh, little medical, um, even individuals, uh, doctors, individuals who care about their patients. So uh, even our Ministry of Health with international partners are not uh, uh, sufficient. So uh, I, I would ask to engage our NGO. We have a lot of NGO who can support our medical system and I would ask uh, every international partners uh, in terms of uh, support of our medical system to make good communication and support in, in different ways.
2: Well, Dr. Voloshina, that was a wonderful overview of the system. I think there's some comfort uh, in, in a very difficult situation to know how advanced Ukraine was in digitizing its records. And we know the NATO leaders are meeting and hopefully more supplies will be coming into the healthcare system as well as to support the security of the country. We understand even before the war, your country had a very high rate of TB. In fact, one of the world's highest burdens of multi-drug resistant TB. And we know infectious disease spread during mass movements of people. What can you tell our listeners about this part of the crisis that you're dealing with?
1: Uh, Mark, you raise a very, very important issue because really uh, even before this February, the rate of TB in Ukraine was uh, six times more than in uh, European Union countries. And uh, it is my message to... um, um european country who allowed now for our people to live uh in your communities Uh, i kindly ask you to open your medical system for examination of ukrainian displaced uh, people because um, in terms of tb there is a very simple rule as faster as you diagnose and recognize TB, as uh, faster you get uh, recovery and result, and uh, this person will be absolutely safe for society. Uh, I know that uh, those 3 million Ukrainian people who moved now in European countries it is very hard for them to get uh, medical system and examination in European countries. So please um, give strong attention in terms of diagnosis of TB in Ukrainian people, because even TB in children in, uh, in children is also quite high, and also multi-drug resistant, of course. Uh, so I, I hope that you, you help us. Uh, you, you know the right schemes of medication. You have this medication. So please help our people uh, to treat them.
3: Yes. yes. Dr. Voloshin, I think people really will hear that call. I want to ask you about the, the people who remain in Ukraine and the supply chain. I figure out how many thousands or tens of thousands of people with diabetes remain in the country. Um, For the people who require insulin, you've just described to us a situation where you have large areas with no electricity. You have the issue of getting, I'll just use insulin and people with diabetes as an example. What is being done? What can be done to maintain the vital flow of, of medicine that is really required to sustain life?
1: Uh, it is urgent question now, uh, especially for Kherson region, for several regions of the Parisia, of course, from Mariupol, uh, for Mariupol, for Chernihiv region, because uh, they are very hard to get their uh, insulin and other vital medical supplies and uh, also for people with oncology disease. For example, yesterday I received several requests regarding uh, oncology uh, drug treatment, but we can physically uh, give to our people this medication Uh, because there is no road, there is only military uh, Russian soldiers who kill everyone. Who try to bring any box to our people, and that is uh, awful situation. And I can say that, for example, in non-occupied territories, the situation is uh, stable. We receive uh, enough amount of uh, vital medical supplies, and send again for our partners because. In these months, you understand, uh, you can um, understand that uh, any our medical factory was not efficiently to to produce medications. Those so insulin and other drugs were uh, kindly given from the partners. Uh, I'm sorry, that's my daughter.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great! And you know, really, just thinking about the supply chain. For medicine, i also just wondering about the basics of food and water, whether or not nutrition is becoming an issue. Maybe tell us a little bit about the nutrition, but also just the general health of young people. I think we all worry, you mentioned earlier about some of the training, first aid and behavioral health. What do we know about the needs of of young people as well?
1: Uh, our uh, young people, our children are uh, suffer so much, you even can imagine this. Uh, actually, my daughter sleeps on the floor in the metro station in Kyiv for almost more than one week. Then uh, we slept on the floor in our bathroom. Uh, every every hour we have uh, a notification of um, air alert and we need to uh, go down to to metro uh, so our ukraine is living now and have such schedule now so any normal school lessons any usual activity um, are not exist now in ukraine and, and i understand those parents who who fought uh, to let uh, their children to to go to s- safe place? But there is any safe place in Ukraine now, any. And uh, uh, if we talk about um, food and water, I can say that even yesterday, uh, our organization, our NGO, sent uh, more than uh, thirty. Cubic meters of food and millions uh, to region of Chernihiv uh, uh, because uh, there is a humanitarian catastrophe there. Uh, people even even without usual food, not to, even to discuss medication so there are a lot of humanitarian crisis in Ukraine now even near Kiev region for example European who completely destroyed without mobile phones we didn't know and we did we don't have any information what is happening there now but when we receive uh, even small request we try to react uh, as quick as we can. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I think it goes without saying that it is hard to grasp the sheer scope of this humanitarian disaster. And I know it seems to me virtually everybody who's in the occupied areas in particular are living in a state of trauma and responding, as we know people do when they're traumatized. Some people's uh, behavioral health status wasn't as strong to begin with, right? I wonder um, how you and your colleagues are working to maybe deploy additional help and support for people who are experiencing serious behavioral health distress. You, you need to make sure that you can triage a little bit, right? What kind of health care providers are available to take care of uh, what groups of people? How are you pulling people into this work to provide really mental health care to people who are very traumatized right now?
1: Margaret, uh, the question about uh, of mental health is uh, really acute Uh, now in Ukraine. hmm, I'm not sure if our medical students, who only um, gain uh, their diploma, are experienced in. in giving medical mental health support. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I can say that last uh, three years, the World Health Organization provides a series of training as for primary care physician in uh, most, I think uh, of most of region in Ukraine um uh, i was one of the trainer we have a strong support from our psychiatrists and psychologists uh, they also quite experienced uh our social workers uh, are also have been trained uh, to mental health pro- program mental uh it is so-, so called mental health gap maybe you know <clears throat> this guide uh, guideline so we try to give our consultation to our patient according to this guideline. Uh, But uh, I know that the request, uh, for example, for retired homes from hospitals in uh, small villages, uh, very, very high uh, and intense in terms of uh, psychotropic uh, medication. Uh, For example, the pumps and and other medications uh, which can be prescribed uh, prescribed uh, during acute uh, stress and psychological trauma and uh, for people in uh, deep depression so uh, of course we we need to combine uh, as pharmacological treatment as um, non-pharmacological treatment as well, um, and uh, I hope that we we could give it to our people. Mm-hmm.
2: And just one last question: I'd be interested to know prior to the to the war, uh, COVID pandemic was raging uh, across. Europe and uh, certainly uh, the Ukraine faced the same crisis. What can you tell us about the status now, in, in terms of uh, the ability to uh, assist people, or what the uh, uh, the rate of uh, spread is uh, at this point, or is it too difficult to uh, assess?
1: For us, uh, because I even in the night um, send to my patient electronic um, uh, electronic uh, receipts and. Uh, Electronic um, referral to specialist for examination. So system is working now, and um, of course, uh, regarding if if we talk about COVID uh, as. Uh, a disease, of course, there is, I think, no, it, it is is countable at all, uh, as well as the rate of vaccination, but before war, well, the rate of COVID-19 vaccination in our country was quite uh, okay. It was over 15% of um, tar- target population.
3: Well, thank you, Dr. Voloshina. You have truly given us a window uh, into the challenges you are facing and our hearts and prayers go out to you and all of your colleagues. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. Thank you again, Dr. Voloshina. We will be thinking of you in the days to come. Thank
1: you very much for the invitation. Thank you.
2: Conversations on healthcare. We want our audience to be truly in the know when it comes to the facts about healthcare reform and policy. Lori Robertson is an award winning journalist and managing editor of factcheck.org, a nonpartisan, nonprofit consumer advocate for voters that aim to reduce the level of deception in U.S. politics. Lori, what have you got for us this week?
4: Myocarditis, or inflammation of the heart muscle, is most often caused by a viral infection. Research shows that infection with SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19, increases the risk of myocarditis across age groups. But myocarditis has also been identified as a rare side effect of the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Most cases of vaccine-associated myocarditis have been observed in adolescents and young males ages 12 to 24 following a second dose. According to a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention study, post-vaccine myocarditis is most frequent in males 16 to 17 years old with about 106 cases per million doses in the u.s that study and others have found that compared with classic viral myocarditis post-vaccine myocarditis appears to resolve faster and have better clinical outcomes although investigations into potential long-term effects are ongoing symptoms such as chest pain shortness of breath palpitations or fatigue usually appear within a week of vaccination and resolve within a few days. Case studies show that most of them have recovered with rest and ibuprofen. No one in the U.S. is known to have died from vaccine-associated myocarditis, according to the CDC, as of January 13. In contrast, as of late February, there have been nearly 5,800 COVID-19 deaths among people ages 18 to 29. However, The rare risk of myocarditis continues to be misleadingly used to argue that COVID-19 vaccines are dangerous and that young males and children are better off without them. The CDC concluded as recently as February 4th that the benefits of both mRNA COVID-19 vaccines far outweigh the risk of myocarditis, even in younger males. A benefit-risk analysis estimated that for every million males between the ages of 18 and 39 who were vaccinated with a second dose, about 1,800 and 1,900 hospitalizations would be avoided with the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines, respectively.
2: Each week, Conversations highlights a bright idea about how to make wellness a part of our communities and everyday lives. Pregnancy is normally an exciting time for most women, but according to the research, an estimated 10% of prenatal women experience some kind of depression during their pregnancy, and many are reluctant to treat their depression with medication for fear of harming the fetus.
5: In fact, a higher percentage are experiencing lower grade depressive symptoms, so they might not meet full criteria for a major depressive episode, but they're having significant symptoms that are getting in the way of feeling good. And left untreated, those mild to moderate symptoms can progress, in some cases lead to a more serious postpartum depression.
2: Dr. Cynthia Battle is a psychologist at Brown University with a practice at Women's and Infants Hospital in Providence. She and her colleagues decided to test a cohort of Pregnant women to see if a targeted prenatal yoga class, which combines exercise with mindfulness techniques, might have a positive impact on women dealing with prenatal depression. And it
5: was a typical kind of hatha yoga that would include physical postures, breathing exercises, meditation exercises. And we enrolled 34 women who were pregnant who had clinical levels of depression. They all had medical clearance from their prenatal care providers, and they would come to classes And we measured their change in depressive symptoms over that period of time.
2: Not only were women able to manage their depressive incidents, they also bonded with other pregnant women during the program and found additional support from their group.
5: And the initial signs from this research are really encouraging. So we found that women, on average, were reporting that they were reporting much less.
2: A larger study with control groups is being planned with the assistance of the National Institute of Mental Health.
5: Women who are depressed during pregnancy, unfortunately, do often have less ideal birth outcomes. So one thing we're interested in seeing is if when we provide prenatal yoga program, can it improve mood? And then can we even see some positive effects in terms of the birth outcomes?
2: A guided non-medical yoga exercise program designed to assist pregnant women through depression symptoms helping them successfully navigate those symptoms without medication, ensuring a healthier outcome for mother and baby. Now that's a bright idea. You've been listening to Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Mark Maselli.
0: And I'm Margaret Plinter. Peace and health. Conversations on Healthcare is recorded at WESU, at Wesleyan University, streaming live at chcradio.com, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have comments, please email us at chcradiochc at chc1.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love hearing from you. The show is brought to you by the Community Health Center.